This is Jesus speaking. It will seem like all hell has broken loose. Sun, moon, stars, earth, sea, in an uproar. And everyone all over the world in a panic. The wind knocked out of them by the threat of doom. The powers that be quaking. And then, then, they'll see the Son of Man welcomed in grand style, a glorious welcome. When all this starts to happen, up on your feet. Stand tall with your heads high. Help is on the way. He told them a story. Look at a fig tree, any tree for that matter. When the leaves begin to show, one look tells you that the summer is right around the corner. The same here. When you see these things happen, you know that God's kingdom is about here. Don't brush this off. I'm not just saying this for some future generation, but for this one too. These things will happen. Sky and earth will wear out. My words will not wear out. But be on your guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled by parties and drinking and shopping. Otherwise, that day is going to take you by complete surprise. Spring on you, suddenly, like a trap. For it's going to come on everyone, everywhere, at once. So whatever you do, don't go to sleep at the switch. I think that's an American expression, but you know what it means. Pray constantly that you will have the strength and the wits to make it through, through everything that's coming, and end up on your feet before the Son of Man. As we sit, may we pray. Father, we thank you for the directness with which Jesus speaks to us. And we ask, Lord, that each one of us this morning may hear your voice and may have heard your voice and sense your presence and go out on fire with a new love for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, actually quite a number of years ago, um, Annette at my wife, Annette, she's sitting down there. Actually, I came to faith through a combination of my wife and the Holy Spirit. And I can assure you it's a very powerful combination. So I'm very grateful to her. And, and we had uh, four children, and uh, she was struggling along with all four children and the dog, uh, pulling her along on a lead. And she met our neighbor, Miss Faulkner. And Miss Faulkner was, a, um, I then thought, an old, uh, elderly lady. And Annette said to her, hello, Miss Faulkner, in her cheerful way, uh, how are you? And Miss Faulkner said, uh, I'm very gloomy. 
And Annette said to her, well, uh, look up, Miss Faulkner, look up, cheer up. Uh, you know, the Lord is coming. And Miss Faulkner shook her head, wagged her finger, and she said, no, I'm right to be gloomy. And the question that faces us this morning is which of those two was right? At the time that I'm speaking of, the world wasn't even like it is today. But it was bad enough. It was the time, I think, actually, of the, um, uh, the Irish troubles, and there were bombs and scares and explosions and people being killed and wars and rumors of wars. And Uh, you read the newspapers today, watch the television today, everything comes within inches of our face, really. Who's right? Uh, in many traditions, um, I don't know about yours, to be honest, uh, we're in the middle of Advent. Uh, because for over a thousand years now, the church decided that rather than just sort of zoom, Christmas and zoom, on we go, we would use the period, the four Sundays up to Christmas, to concentrate on two things. And uh, throughout this chapter in St. Luke chapter 21, and again, we have to remind ourselves that this is the teaching of Jesus. It's not open to us to say whether we agree or don't agree, because whether we agree or whether we don't agree, this is what is A, happening and B, going to happen. There are four themes, as some of you will know, running through this whole chapter. The first theme, of course, is the day of the Lord. And Jesus speaks about the day of the Lord. <clears throat> and the Jews believed, as many of you will know, that this present age, which is a bad age and an evil age, will be replaced by the age to come. But in between the present age and the age to come would be the day of the Lord. Not just a day, but a period. How long? We don't know. But it will be a terrible period. And that's an aspect of our Christian understanding. The second theme in this chapter is the fall of Jerusalem. Jesus prophesied that Jerusalem would fall and about 40 years later, I suppose, in A.D. 70, Jerusalem fell. The Romans tore down the temple, stone by stone by stone, the most beautiful temple. I thought of it this morning as we drove past Blytheborough Church. Not a stone will remain, Jesus said, in place. And the Jewish nation was well nigh obliterated. The third theme, of course, in the chapter is the second coming of Christ. And the fourth was the persecution to come. And as many of you will know, the church of Jesus Christ is growing today at a faster rate than it's ever grown. Not all of it in the decadent West, I'm sorry to say, but if you ever feel like being cheered up, then hitch a ride to the Far East, to China, where they're coming to faith at the rate of about a thousand every week. A thousand every week. They're building new churches, they're planting churches, huge excitement. Annette and I have been just invited back to uh, Kuala Lumpur. We're going back there tail in um, January. Uh, there's just been a new church planted. The 
the man Miles Jumin, who was running Hedichinji Brompton, felt the call of God and has moved to Kale and is running a new church in Kale now. A church plant there, hundreds and hundreds of people, hundreds of Chinese, particularly on their Alpha course. It's hugely exciting and it cheers you up because you see that our God reigns. Our God reigns. I remember years ago, <laughs> Richard Hare, who was the Bishop of Pontefract, I remember him telling us he was uh, in a procession in York Minster, a huge, great celebration in York Minster. And, um, we used to sing that song. Do you ever sing that, Our God Reigns? Our God Reigns. I'm not going to sing it to you, because that will bring down the tone. But so lovely. Thank you for your worship this morning. It's lovely. It's a wonderful thing. It's an all-age activity. Actually, this is, I decided, Ben had decided this was the day of youth, a youth band and a youth speaker and a youth. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, Richard Hare said he looked down at his order of service as they were processing into York Minster and he saw that they'd printed, uh, Our God Resigns. <laughs> but I've got news for you Our God hasn't resigned. He hasn't resigned. He reigns. But with this huge growth, of course, the Church of Jesus Christ is being more persecuted today than it's ever been. Uh, more in quantity and more in ingenuity, and it's horrific. But it's not a surprise. Jesus said that it would come. And I want to talk this morning, if I may, about the third of those features, the second coming of Christ. And if you forget everything else that I say this morning, I hope you will be able to remind yourself that the point of Jesus' teaching in Luke, Matthew's gospel, of course, as well, is that he is coming back. He believed it. He prophesied it. The early church believed it. If you look at St. Paul's letter, for example, to the Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 13, where Paul writes to them, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And the point is, and actually it's only the Christian faith that has this understanding, and it's only the Christian faith, actually, that has access to the truth. It's only by faith that we understand that God made the world. It's by faith that we understand that Jesus will return to this world. But the point, of course, is that history is going somewhere. Most of the other religions in this world think there's a sort of recycling process that goes on. And we go round and round the same old track. But we don't. History is finite. It's going somewhere. And there will come a time, who knows when, when we all stand before God to give an account of our lives. I don't know if you're acquainted with the writings of um, G.A. Studdard Kennedy. He was the chaplain to the gen chapel general to the forces in the First World War. And he wrote some lovely stuff designed to help him to explain to soldiers, for example, any members of the fighting forces, 
who were walking along with a colleague. One moment. Only to find that their colleague was blown to bits the next moment. How do you explain that to them in relation to God's love and understanding? And he wrote, uh, he wrote some lovely stuff. He was known colloquially, nicknamed as Woodbine Willie. G.A. Studdard Kennedy he was actually. Because he had this habit, it's not very politically correct nowadays, but whenever he was counseling or praying with a soldier, he would get out a cigarette, a woodbine, and, and give it to them to, to smoke as they discussed, prayed, and shared. But I always love his description, as he was, because it's theology made uh, even more understandable. His account uh, that he used to teach the troops with about the, the judgment day, when we all stand before God. Some of you may know it, but uh, what he said was, for there ain't no books and there ain't no throne. It's him you've got to see. It's him, just him who will be the judge of blokes like you and me. And boys, I'd rather frizzle up in the flames of a burning hell and stand and look into his face and hear his voice say, well, and that's what Jesus is speaking about in so many ways, that one day with great love, Jesus will look at us and will simply say, well, how did you get on? He'll know, of course. But what are we going to say? So Advent, these four Sundays, last Sunday was the first, and this is the second. As you know, in the run-up to Christmas, we're thinking about these two things. We're thinking, number one, about the first coming of Jesus, which, of course, none of us has any difficulty in believing, because we know that Jesus came. It was prophesied that he would come, and he came. And we think about the implications of that. Why would the Son of God bother to come to earth? Why would he become to be born into a grubby little stable when he could be living in heaven? Why would he leave all that? Well, you know why he came. And you know the teaching that the church has always rejoiced in, that he came... He didn't pull rank. He didn't take advantage. He didn't come to a, some rich and influential family somewhere whereby he could have changed the whole world with worldly power. He came to a grubby little stable in a very indistinct, indistinct, undistinguished part of the world. It's a picture, of course, of our, I speak for myself, but I think having read the Bible a little bit, I speak for you too. He came to a grubby little hearts that wouldn't think of being a fit place for the Son of God to come and live. But he decided that he would do that. And when he came to the world, he came in order, as you know, to come into our hearts, to come in to change us, to recruit us 
to form this new army that he was engaged in bringing into existence that was going to change the world. Because as you know, the world got into a bad place and St. Paul describes it to us, how our ancestor Adam got led astray and he and Eve led us over the cliff and separated us from God. That relationship broke down. And as I often think, somewhere in heaven there was a discussion. God the Father said, well, we better implement this plan that had been prepared. I don't quite understand how that works, but it had been prepared since before the foundation of the world. And God the Father said, will somebody go? Will somebody go? And Because as you probably know, God decided that because the world was handed over to Satan by the human race, by a man, by Adam, that if it was going to be returned back to God the Father, it would have to be by a member of the human race too. Because we were given the world in all its beauty and we messed it up. And if the world is going to be handed back, God said, well, it'll be by a man too. And as I often think, a little hand in heaven went up and Jesus said, I'll go. He wasn't called Jesus then. But there never was a time he didn't exist. I'll go. And he was born. And he was called Jesus. And he came to reverse that process and to bring into existence the new human race. Are you, are you with me so far? The new human race. Of members of the new human race who were born from above. The Spirit of God has come into them and changed them and made them new creatures. Not just you and me brushed up so that we look mildly more respectable before Judgment Day, but a new creature, a new human race, a new humanity, new people who think like Jesus, who begin to look like Jesus, who begin to behave like Jesus and do what Jesus wants done while we have time on earth. Amen? I know you're Pentecostal. You can shout praise the Lord and amen. Jean Darnell, when she came over here, some of you may know that name. Lovely, lovely woman. She persuaded God to let her retire to Hawaii. I've never worked out how that works. But we're very grateful to be in Auburn, but we do notice the difference. Uh, she lives in Hawaii. I remember her saying when she first came over here, she's American, of course. When she first came over here, she said, if they, uh, in America, she said, if they agree with you, they shout, amen. <laughs> but she said, over here, I've noticed if they agree with you, they tend to go, Mm. <laughs> well, I'll settle for mm, if it means that we're all in agreement. And Jesus brought into existence this new human race. And if you're born from above, and if I'm born from above, and you're born from above, and you're born from that's why it's so important. Then Jesus came for you. But not just, if I may say so, without, I hope, offending you. It's too far for us to come for me want to offend you. Not just so that you can feel good and look good and be good, but so that you could be enrolled and feel enrolled into this new army that God has created. So that at the end of time, Jesus, with his new humanity, his new human race, his new brothers and sisters, will say to the Father, Father, <laughs> these are ours. 
and we have won the world back for you. And we present to you back the world that you created in all its beauty. And the Father will say whatever he says. It indicates huge pleasure. But it's in the sense that we are in Jesus, that we'll be part of that new community. So we are celebrating, of course, the first coming of Jesus, which allows us to be born. St. John, in his, um, you remember in his first chapter, he, he puts it so succinctly and so clearly. In the beginning was the word. That's to say, never was there a time when there wasn't Jesus. He was always around. However back, you far back you can go, Jesus was there. The word, uh, he calls him, that means everything you can say about God. Theology is everything you say about God. Biology is everything you can say about life. And the logos, or the word that St. John puts it, is everything you can say about God. Jesus is everything you can say about God. The word was with God. It's relational. And the word was God divine. So we know that that was why Jesus came. That everybody who was born from above, born in him, not born from a father's will, not just a whim, not just a like a human birth, but born from above. Amen? So that's the existence. The second aspect, of course, that we think about in Advent is the second coming of Jesus. And, of course, what the Bible is at pains to make clear is that the first coming was foretold by Scripture all over the place. And the second coming was foretold in Scripture and all over the place. It's just as sure. Actually, I don't know if one's allowed to say this, but I think it's even more sure because it's Jesus that foretells it. And if Jesus says he's coming back, guess what? He's coming back. And I always think, and of course, of course, of course, we're not saved by good works. But again, I don't want to break this to you too dramatically. We're not saved without them. By which I mean, it's the good works that show him and everybody else and us what is driving us from inside. Because that reveals where our heart is. I think that's why James wrote his letter. Martin Luther, as you know, didn't like James's letter. It was a right strawy epistle, he said, because he wasn't making that point at that time. At that time in the 16th century, what was at issue was how we got saved. We don't get saved by good works. We get saved by Jesus. But he is coming back. And in the meantime, he's got things for us to do. I've often said, you know, if I ever met the in inventor of Lego, I would, I hope in some suitable way, show my deep, deep gratitude. I'd love to give him a great big hug. Because our children played for hours with Lego. Building things, breaking them down, building them, breaking them down. And so that Annette and I could get on with something even more useful uh, than that. And it's no good, I don't think, telling children to be good and sit still 
unless you give them something to do. Isn't that right? And Jesus is the same. I don't think, and I've been in parochial ministry for quite a long time, I don't think it's any good telling a church to sit still and be good unless they have something to do. And it's so exciting to hear what you guys are all up to. It's really exciting. It's quite tiring listening to it. I don't know if you've had a chance to, perhaps you would, but to read them, um, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lambeth lecture. Uh, I don't suppose it's required reading in Lowestoft, but <laughs> it's actually, I find it very interesting. And he says he starts his lecture, he's, it's, it's uh, earlier on this year. He says, I want to start by saying two simple sentences about the church. The first, the church exists to worship God in Jesus Christ. Amen? Secondly, the church exists to make new disciples of Jesus Christ. Everything else is decoration. Some of it may be very necessary, useful, or wonderful decoration. But it's decoration. Karl Barth, I suppose one of the greatest theologians of the last century, Put it this way, no other task is so urgent as that of spreading the news on earth and making it known. John Chrysostom, a little bit earlier, who was the Archbishop of Constantinople and died in the year 400 AD, 407 actually, AD, he said something very similar. Nothing, he says, is more deadly than a Christian who is indifferent to the salvation of others. Indeed, I wonder if such a person can be a true Christian. To become a disciple of Christ is to obey his law of love, and obedience to the law brings joy beyond measure and description. Love means to want the best for others. Sharing with them the joy of love. So the Christian feels compelled to speak to others about the law of love and the joy of obeying this law. Of course, he says, many people are shy about speaking to others. In their case, actions motivated by love will be a most eloquent testimony. But those who are not shy will surely want to express their joy at every opportunity. There's no need to use fine words or elegant phrases. I want to read you one more. One more from Oregon, the third century, the early theologian. Third century, that's right. He lived most of his life in Alexandria. But uh, he spoke warmly of the Christians of his time. Let me tell you what he noted. They do not neglect, as far as in them lies, to take measures to disseminate their doctrine throughout the whole world. Some of them, accordingly, have made it their business to wander not only from city to city, but even from town to town and village to village in order to make converts to God. 
So the question is, what is the church doing in expectation of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ? And I, I preach this to myself as much as to anybody else. And I'm not getting at you, and I'm not telling you what to do. But I'm inviting you to allow God to speak to you in your heart of hearts and to tell you what it is that we could do. Not just as a church, but as an individual. As an individual, a part of the church. As an individual, a part of a small group, a life group, or a community group, or any sort of group. As a part of up and down the street, as a part of a neighborhood, as a part of a youth group, as a part of a school group, as part of any group. What, Lord, what would you like me to do? And see what he says. Some of you may know the story I come back to from time to time. It's about the lady who had to pass the pet shop on her way to work. Do you know that story? Well, as she went past the first morning, she'd moved into a new address. The parrot that was sitting outside shouted across, Hey, lady! And she said, uh, yes. You're very ugly. Hmm. So she was rather hurt, and she went off to work. She thought about it. And she came back that night. The parrot was there. He said the same thing. So she went into the pet shop, and she talked to the owner, and she said, you have got to deal with that parrot because I'm not having it anymore. So the following day, she walked uh, gently past the pet shop, and the parrot said, hey, lady. And she said, y yes. You know. Well, God wouldn't speak to us in quite those same terms. But I often think that if we ask the Lord what he'd like us to do, he'll tell us. And sometimes we say, well, Lord, I, I, I didn't come to hear that. I came to worship God. I came to be caught up. And the Lord says, I know, I know. But if you ask me what you'd like me to, I'd like you to do, this is what I'd like you to do. When Annette and I retired to Alborough, I said to Annette, you know, um, we've talked about Alpha in various parts of the world, which we have, actually. Do you know 20 million people in the world have done Alpha that we know already? Um, I'm frightfully excited. The next, the next um, Alpha invitation in the autumn is going to be led by Bear Grylls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bear Grylls, and he's going to invite everybody to do Alpha. He'll probably jump out of an aeroplane or do something or other. But, um, and it's now running in 170 countries all over the world. It's been translated in so many different languages. When we went to Aubra, I said to him, we talked about Alpha. Uh, we must run an Alpha course. Uh, this is just after we sort of retired and came to live here full time. So Annette's a great leafleter. She pops invitations in through letterboxes all over the place. And, and the GPO helped us with the rest. And everybody was leafleted all over the place. 
And uh, I often ask, um, you know, it's a, it's a rhetorical question. It's not children's church, so you don't have to answer. But guess how many people we had on our first Alpha course? One. One person. And um, it was actually enormous fun. We're a fairly traditional family, Annette and I. And we did the DVDs, which I hadn't seen. The new ones, they're absolutely brilliant. The Youth Alpha ones are absolutely fantastic. The Canadians ones, we've recorded them. Uh, we're doing them in a prison at the moment, and they're absolutely ideal. Youth Alpha, they come and they have a break. We have small groups and a bit more teaching, some break and small groups. And they're, they're filmed all over the world, too. And um, this lovely man, he rang up and he said, am I too late to enroll on the Alpha course? I said, no, no, you're the first, actually. And we watched the DVDs. And then um, when I talk about us being traditional, you'll see what I mean. Annette then went off into the kitchen to put on the kettle. And he and I sat on the sofa and talked about what the subject was for that night. I don't know that he wasn't a Christian before. But he was lonely and he was very keen to ink in the teaching that was in pencil in his mind, I think. And he did. And it was an extraordinarily wonderful thing. But whatever it is that the Lord asks you to do, whether on your own or with a group or with a small group or as part of a church or, or to continue to do or to restart, uh, as I'm speaking, I realize, I suspect there may be one or two of you who've given up praying, perhaps. Or you've given up praying in tongues, perhaps, because you couldn't see the point. And the Lord wants you to restart, because it's a key, a key weapon, this intercessory prayer in the house that God is building, a house of faith. He's being built on intercession. I used to think it might be on the worship or on the talks or on the community, but it's actually on prayer. Some of you here feel called to intercede. You, or you may know people. When I first went to Holy Trinity, there was a lovely, slightly older woman. I went to see her in her flat. She couldn't get out of her flat at all. And as I came through the door, she said, you know, I'm no use to the church now. She used to do all the flowers and all the cleaning and things like that. And I remember saying to her, no use. You're absolutely vital. So if you know people like that, would you enroll them? Lay hands on them, commission them, appoint them. You are an official intercessor for this church. Give them something to do. And she could be in every continent in the world before lunch. It's true. John Wesley used to say that God has bound himself to do nothing save in answer to prayer. And he raises up people to pray into existence. That's how the revival here started. How the revival in the Hebrides started. Small groups of people. And I say this to our shame then, mainly women. Praying, Lord, send revival. Lord, send revival. Lord, send revival. Twenty years later, the Lord sent revival. And everybody for miles around knew about it. Exciting. So 
the essence of our expectation of the certainty that the Lord is coming, Jesus said, you remember, watch. Be expectant. Because you never know when he's going to come. I want to end by telling you a story that you may know. It's a true story. Some years ago, there was a man traveling um, in Sicily. When he came across a house with a beautifully kept garden. It was in a place called Palermo. And it was known by the locals as the English garden. Because it had various sort of flowers, as you or gardeners will know. Uh, like Cineraria and things that grow in England, but don't really normally grow in Italy. But it was beautifully kept. And working away in the corner of the garden when he went in there, it was open to the public, uh, was the gardener. And they got talking. And the traveler asked the gardener, how, how, matter of interest, how long have you worked here? Forty years, said the gardener. Uh, is, the, uh, is the owner about, the traveler said. He's away, said the gardener, but he'll be back. When? I don't know. Well, how long is it, said the traveller, since you last saw him? I've never seen him. And the traveller said, what an extraordinary thing. You worked here for 40 years without seeing the owner at all, and you don't know when he's coming back. Why, this place is so beautifully kept, you'd think you were expecting him tomorrow. Today, sir. Today. Would you like to stand? Ben has asked if I would conduct a short time of ministry, and I'm very happy to do that. I don't know what your tradition is, but I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to come and fill us again, once again, to speak to us and encourage us and support us and do whatever he wants to do. And uh, I don't know what your tradition is, but in, I, I encourage people to hold out their hands. You don't have to. It's not part of the liturgy, but uh, holding out our hands is the opposite of this. This means, oh God, I dare you to touch me. I only came because there was nothing good on telly. <laughs> and this means, oh Lord, I want everything you can give me to make me what you want me to be so that when you come back, I'll be found doing what you want me to do and being what you want me to be. And it starts for, and begins and ends with the Holy Spirit, a fresh experience, a fresh anointing, fresh sense of direction. Father, thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, that Jesus came, and we celebrate that. Thank you so much that he's coming again. We thank you for your promise so that we ask for your Holy Spirit, you'll fill us. 
So we ask you, Father, fill us once again with your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill each one of us from head to toe with your Spirit. Jesus breathed on them. Receive Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. We receive. Now let's wait on the Lord. My encouragement to you is just to say, Lord, thank you. Don't question whether you're receiving or not. If you've asked, you receive. Receive Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Now more of your spirit, Lord, we pray.